Love is as strong as death. Longing is fierce as the underworld. Its arrows are arrows of fire, flames of the divine. You told me that there's two reasons why you chose these readings. One was the first reading. There's one of these phrases from the first reading is in your wedding ring, I think. And, and the gospel, well, because you were speaking about or thinking about, you know, there's times in life where you just realize, well, you know, we could use a little bit of help and um, we trust in the Lord that he will help us. I would like to focus on this one sentence, if that's okay for you, which, is, which says, love is as strong as death. Love is as strong as death. So what does that mean? Love is as strong as death. And I, was, I was thinking a little bit about this, this idea and, and, and what it could perhaps mean for your... your your wedding, you know? and maybe also the rest of us who are married, or maybe one day we'll marry, or a priest, or who will serve God or the church or the world in another way. What does that mean? And, and also the next sentence, you know, the passion, longing is, is as fierce as the underworld. I don't know why, but when I read that sentence, I immediately had to think of St. Augustine, his quote, where he says, more lost is the person who has lost his passion than the person who's lost in his passions. No. More lost is the person who's lost his passion than the person who's lost in his passions. Now, we have to kind of wrap our mind around that idea for a while and chew on it a little bit to understand it maybe, but it's, it's like super deep. You know, it's, we Christians don't get rid of passion. We're not against, you know, somehow like the body is bad and the spirit is good or something. But we're a faith of the incarnation of the Son of God who became flesh and who had this passionate love for the human person. So, but anyway, what does that, what does that mean? What could that mean for us? That love is as strong as death. And I was reflecting, and I don't know how it is for you, I think a lot of times in a certain sense, we would even take a step further, maybe, and say we have a desire for love which is even stronger than death, in a certain sense. Because, you know, if you fall in love with someone, it doesn't really matter what you do. It's always too little what you could do for the other person, in a certain sense. No, it's whatever you're going to do, you could always do something tomorrow. And also the person who receives that love kind of has that same impression, you know, the, the old saying, the, the husband that tells his wife, you know, that he loves her, and then after 10 years, she says, well, could you tell me that again? Well, I told you at my wedding day. Is that no, no. So we realize we, that's not enough, you know. We want, we want to hear it again, and we need to be shown again that the other person is loving me. And, and we can never get enough of love. And, in this, and again, also, I would say we have the desire that I would be capable of loving in such a fashion that I can always give more, that I can always give. And... And, and it, on the other side, we kind of realize that death is a certain limit to our love. It sets a limit. You know, because even if you give your life to someone, there is no greater love than he has given his life for his friends, Jesus would say. But, okay, then you're dead. Then you can't give anything anymore. You know, it's, then it's over. So where does that desire come from? That, that we, it seems that we long to love in a way that supersedes, that transcends our capacity of love. 
Is that kind of like an accident of nature? Did some demagogue kind of invent us human beings and give us longing in our hearts that at the end of the day is going to be totally frustrated and no one can ever fulfill? Or is there something deeper happening? And, and I would like to use three kind of images maybe to kind of to, to try to, to try to give an answer. And, and all of them are, are coming from, from the Bible, really. It's, I mean, the first image is just this idea that the human person is created in the image of God. As man and woman, he created them. As images of God, he created them. And, and not so much just the man himself, just the woman himself, but man and woman are created in the image of God. Well, why? Because who is God? God is love. And he who remains in love remains in God and God in him, we would read in the first letter of St. John. And, and God has placed on his world an image of himself. St. John Paul II would say it's the original sacrament. Matrimony is the original sacrament. We have this complicated word, sacrament. No, but the idea is very easy. It's, it's kind of a sacrament is a visible sign that makes present an invisible reality. Eine, ein sichtbares Zeichen einer unsichtbaren Wirklichkeit. No, it, it makes present. It's not just a symbol of it, but it makes it present. For example, when Eric gives Maria a flower in their hands, maybe, I don't, I don't know if you like flowers, but some, most, whatever. But let's say you do, did that once and you gave her a flower. It's not just a chemical reaction in my arm that's giving somebody, like, stuffing a biological project, a product under somebody's nose. No, it's, it's actually saying something. I don't have to say anything with my words, but I'm saying something. I love you. You're important for me. I don't have to say anything with my mouth, but my action, this visible sign, is making something invisible present, which is my love. And so it's not really so much about the flower. Hopefully it's not the last flower that you know, happened to buy it but just before the shop closed. But it's, there should be a correspondence between the sign and the... But what it's about, right, is this flower is making present my love. No flower, no love. No kind of maybe a stupid example. But there's... Without our bodies, we couldn't make present love. It's our bodies that make love present through an action, through a glance, through a word, through something that we do, through some deed. No, and it's not just a symbol, but it makes it present. And so we start to realize that there's something very different about the human person. We can do something that no ant, no bear, no cow, no rock, mountain, church, building could ever do in, of itself. The human person has the capacity of making love present in this world. And that makes the human body and the human person as such something incredible. We have a gift deeply engraved even into our bodies as man and as woman. And, and this gift is at the end of the day this great mystery as Saint Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 5. Is this great mystery that we have dug deeply into our own personhood is the mystery of the triune God, who is not a loner, you know, kind of hanging out on some faraway galaxy and looking at this world from a faraway place and, you know, very happy with himself, but he's a triune God. He is a family. He's, J.K. Chesterton would say, 
to say that God is a trinity is just a complicated way of saying he is love. You know, there's a lover, someone who's being loved, and a love between the two of them that is so strong that it has a name, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, here we have a lover and someone who's being loved, and maybe someday a love between the two of them that will be so strong that it will be called Zeppel or Eric II or whatever, you know, maybe after nine months. And that's beautiful. You know? and, and this is something that, that the, first, the first thing I think that this means, love is as strong as death, is that we have buried in our own bodies, not just, we're not just symbolizing the Trinity. This is what we would call in our Christian faith, grace. God gives us grace, a participation in his divine love that we become capable of loving like he loves. So it's no longer just the love of Eric to Maria and Maria to Eric, but there's somebody else in the equation. And that's why I think it's so nice that you took this gospel, because it's almost, you know, what does, okay, trust in God have to do with wedding? Well, I think it has to do a lot, because you're, you realize that what you're doing today so much surpasses your own capacity. And, and yet that there is somebody else who's being, coming, being called into this union between the two that is going to give you a strength and a power to love like he has loved. I live, but no longer I, Galatians 2.20. No, I live, but no longer I, Christ lives in me. Second, the second, um, I think, kind of image that we find is precisely that. Ephesians chapter 5, what we were mentioning earlier, you know, where Christ says, where St. Paul says, Christ gives himself for his church so that she might be spotless before him immaculate before him. Now, he, he's talking in spousal language. What Jesus is doing for his church on the cross is spousal language. I give myself to you. But where this I give myself to you is not just blah, 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 but it's love without limitations. And again, this is what we're talking about, what you're doing today. You know, you're not saying to the other person, well, my project of life is that you make me happy. No, it's my project of life is to make you happy. This is what this is all about. You know? And I want to mirror, I want you to be able to see in my eyes, mirror the love that God has for you, how God sees you. This, this glance of inspiration that helps you to recognize your own greatness in the eyes of God. You know? This decision to say, you are a gift of God for me and I want to be a gift for you. This true and proper self-love that understands I myself am a gift. I am a gift for the other and a gift for the world. It's not, you know, I'm worth nothing and, you know, I'm so horrible. And this false humility. As St. John Paul II would say, the human person talks to God out of his weakness, but I remind you that in Jesus Christ, the human person has a right to his own greatness a greatness that surpasses him, and the world and the church has a right to such people. To, remember, to remind ourselves who we are. And it's so beautiful when in a couple, you know, you manage to, to live in such a way that one is reminding the other through their actions, through their glances, through their way of dealing with each other, who you are. You are a gift to me and to this world. 
And I, I don't know how it is for you. No, I think all of us would kind of subscribe the words, we believe that God is love. But how many of us can truly, truly, truly say, I really believe that God loves me. I am convinced of it. And a truck could drive over it. No? I am deeply convinced of the fact that God loves me. Even us men, you know, who always think or sometimes appear to be so strong and so on, how often are we really asking ourselves, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And how beautiful it is when through my spouse I can see reflected in her eyes, in his eyes, this inspirational glance of God, how God sees me, this project of love that he has planted in my heart, which is not just a symbol again, it's grace. It's the power of his, his life that's living in the other person. And how beautiful it is when you have two people who are constantly inspiring each other to be greater, to supersede themselves, to transcend themselves, to look for what we heard in the second reading, this kind of old-fashioned word, holiness, to become holy, to be holy, to become the best version of themselves, maybe we would say today, to help the other to, to be inspired. You know, when I see you, I, I realize who I am and what God is dreaming of me. When I was entered the monastery, I had left the church when I was 18. Obviously, I'm, you know, I entered back, like you can see. And, and um, I, I, we had a superior, one of the people in charge. I, I realized he really believes in me. And that's not, he wasn't hypocritical. It was, and it was so inspiring. Like you, you see, he really believes in me. And all of a sudden, he sees something in me that I can't see myself. And how beautiful it is when you and your wedding and your marriage, you can live like that. And then the third kind of image is what we're doing right now. We're celebrating a mass. We're celebrating a Eucharist. And we could probably argue about this, but I think if somebody was standing at the foot of the cross, a Jew of the first century was standing at the foot of the cross, he did not see a sacrifice. He just saw a Roman execution. That's all he saw. Because the sacrifices were done in the temple, on the altar. And Josephus Flavius says in the year 70, just before the temple was destroyed, there was 250,000 sheep that were being offered on that altar. 250, that's a lot of sheep. So they were, it was all about sacrifice. They, they, they lived in, we today, moderns, I mean, sacrifice, we don't understand it. We, you know, we, we're not coming out of that cultural context. But they were living with sacrifice. But the cross was for them definitely not a sacrifice. And how in the world did the Christians begin to see that that was a sacrifice? Because Jesus, the night before, had explained it. He's the Paschal Lamb. And he's taking the bread and he's saying, this is my body which is given for you. This is my body which is given for you. This is my flesh. He who eats my flesh, he would say in John chapter 6, has life eternal. There's a friend of mine, and he was t telling me about how his dad, on his wedding day, he didn't realize what he said when he made his vows until he heard the words of consecration a few minutes later when the priest during the consecration you know the moment where we lift up the host he says he repeats the word of the last supper this is my body which is given for you 
This is what you're saying to each other. No, love is as strong as death. I'm saying I am willing to give my life for you. You are more important to me than I am to myself. And I think if, if, if nothing else, you know, from your first year being married together, if you may, don't remember anything else, it's, it's this idea, no? You are more important to me than I am to myself. You are, you are more important. No, I give myself to you. This is what this is all about, to make you happy. And this is not just blah, blah, blah. The image of that is Christ on the cross, giving himself to his spouse, the church, and which we make present in the Eucharist. This is so beautiful that why we celebrate a wedding in a, within a Mass. Because you're, you're taking your marriage vows, you're laying them on the altar, you're asking Jesus to transform them, and then when you receive Jesus in the Eucharist, you're being pulled into this divine self-giving of, of Jesus to, to, to each one of us. And, and you become capable of loving in a way that you could not love before. Now, we actually believe, we Catholics, we Christians, that this wedding is not just a ceremony, kind of a nice thing that you do between yourselves, but that God really does, does something here. And this sacrament is not just hocus pocus. It's, it's God is really doing something. He's changing you. He's giving himself to you, and he's becoming the third person who's becoming present. You know, the, the third reality that's becoming present in your, in your, in your marriage. And that's something so beautiful. So, kind of, sorry, I'm rambling on here. So, maybe to kind of sum up in some way, um, why do we have this longing to love in a way that is stronger than death even? Now, why do we have this hole in our hearts that it seems that nothing can satisfy? Well, because we're created in the image of God. And we're created for love that supersedes our own capacities. And yet, God wants to let us participate in that love. He wants to make us shares of that love, and he does so in a very special way on this day for the both of you. And what you're saying is, is what you're not just saying, but what you're doing, you're uniting yourself to this self-giving God who is, as a trinity, just self-giving. You know? the, the, the Father that gives himself totally to the Son, the Son that is just receiving everything from the Father, and is looking into his eyes and just lets himself be loved without having to pretend or put on mask or just and, and gives himself totally back. And the Holy Spirit that is this love which is so strong between the two of them that it that it has a name, the Holy Spirit. So anyway, we're going to now continue on with um, with the ceremony and and let's let's try to ask our Lord for, for these two, Our Lady, that, that she intercedes. And for the two of you that, you, that you really mean what you say today and that you are blessed with this capacity of loving in, in this new way. Amen.